He turns. He fires for the win. He's got the bucket at the buzzer. Weber back to Bibby. Has the open shot. Ladies and gentlemen, up on those feet. Put those hands together. And we'll meet tonight starting five for your Sacramento. Welcome to the King's Beat Podcast. I am James Ham, your insider for ESPN 1320 and also the King's Beat. And joining me today, Mr. Sean Cunningham. Sean. James. ABC 10. That's right. We're, we are at the Yard House. Sorry for those of you who don't like when we're on location, but we're on location. We had practice today. It's Tuesday. And we're sitting down, and we're going to have some lunch while we uh, we podcast. What's you know cool? what it came down to? We're like, hey, do you want to do a podcast? We're like, yeah, we really do. Great. Well, we have to work also. So it was like, it was either do this here or don't do a podcast and do it later in the week. And we're like, you know what? Let's just do it now. There it is. So there yeah. we go. Full transparency. Full transparency. Oh, um, and, you know, uh, Sean and I are both staying down in the city tonight. I San Francisco? Think- no, here in uh, in in See, Sacramento. When, when you don't live in Sacramento, you yeah. call it the city. Yeah, the James big goes city. James goes to town every single week. <laughs> I'm already here. <laughs> yeah. Um, what What are you trying to say, Sean? Or what are you, you trying live to say? a ways away. I do live a ways away. And uh, it's worth it. Yeah, but Sean and I are both staying down here in Sacramento tonight. Uh, we're gonna catch the Foo Fighters. Uh, not together. Uh, we actually will be in the same building. Yeah, we'll be in the same building at the same time. I'll make magic eyes from you from across the across yeah. the venue. We usually do like when we're at the same concert. We wave. We yeah. say hi to each other. Um, and, and, you know, I think the business of basketball. We're we're gonna talk concerts. Oh, you got the right guy on the podcast. Yeah, Sean and I are both concert people, um, and I think that that makes uh, a lot of sense for the business of basketball. All right, Sean. So since we last podcast, the Kings have gone streaking. I mean. When you're the Sacramento Kings and you win two in a row, that's that's streaking. That's, that's called streaking. And uh, then everyone goes, hey, "Did you turned it around? Have you turned a corner? Are you believing in this success?" Uh, we can never ever if, get to that point. If only you could play the Clippers every single night. And the Clippers aren't that bad. They're not, they're I, what, not bad at all. What exactly? Why have the Kings beat beat the Clippers? I mean, let, let's dive into this. Let's just hit the ground running. Sacramento Kings are, are on like a little mini streak. Alvin Gentry is up to four and three as a head coach of the Sacramento Kings. And uh, the last two wins have come at the hands of the Los Angeles Clippers, who on paper look like they were going to have a pretty solid season. I do not believe that is the case at this point. They don't have enough shooting. Um, they're beatable, and the Kings just proved that. So what are, you, what are you seeing that you like in the last two games? I like the fact Kawhi Leonard's not playing. <laughs> Yeah, that helps. There's no Kawhi Leonard, and really, Paul George, who didn't play in that first game, he does play in the second game, but he couldn't hit any shot at all. But I did like the fact that the guy became such a playmaker. We were talking about how De'Aaron Fox actually played really good defense against him, you know, and was very impactful. Davion Mitchell was a part of that as well. But they turned Paul George into a really much more of a playmaker than we've probably seen, and it just makes me double down on the fact that I think Paul George would look amazing in a Kings uniform. I know some people don't agree, but I do. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I think the Kings had their number just simply because, like Tyrese Halliburton said today after practice, he's like, no, they want to go big. Well, we can go small. It, you know, it wasn't a let's see what you're going to do and let's respond. It was, no, we're going to continue to do what we do well. We're going to put our best people out there. And they're running again. Like, I know sometimes the, the numbers don't really bear out, 
but they are kind of wearing out some of these opponents, and I think the Clippers are much like the Kings to a degree where they play to the level of opposition. And they looked at the Kings and said, well, we should have this. We, if, if, if worst case, we should, we should split these two games, and they didn't, and the Kings took advantage of it. Yeah, I, I mean, so first of all, you mentioned the De'Aaron Fox on Paul George thing. I thought that was a stroke of genius. Like, I don't know how that worked out because Paul George should have been able to physically beat up on De'Aaron Fox, take him down in the post and do something. But that's really not his game. So what we saw was was Fox, like, he's just quicker. He's mm-hmm. quicker than, than Paul George. He's got good hands. He was all over him. And I thought it was a good moment for Fox because he didn't have to win the game on the offensive end, and he was a major contributor on the defensive end. And that's not always the case. But I, I part of it played into the fact that they didn't run a ton of pick and rolls. They didn't try to isolate Fox and, and back him down. I thought it was sort of poor game planning on the Clippers' part. And the Kings just kept with the same exact program. They didn't mix it up a lot right. without having guys like Mo Harkless or, uh, or Harrison Barnes. There weren't a lot of options for Alvin Gentry. Our server today is Nathan. He's bringing us our ISTs <laughs> right now. Um, you know, again, when we're on location, sometimes this is what we've got to do. And I, I actually enjoy it, Sean. I, I enjoy doing this because you've done this a lot with radio, right? Yeah. Where you, you like go to a, like a Hooters. Uh, there <laughs> we go. That's right. Hooters, <laughs> State Fair, Strip Club. It's pretty much how they ended up being. Awesome. Um, but. I w- here's the other thing, too, that I thought was actually they, – they were fortunate enough to get the Clippers in the preseason, and we saw – we were talking about it after seeing Davion Mitchell pick up Paul George several times in that game and how he held his own. And I think Alvin looked at that and said, we're going to double down on that. We're going to double down on the fact that our guys create havoc against certain guys, certain individuals who aren't expecting a smaller defender. And I think they just had a hard time adjusting to it. You know, I think the likes of – you know, Terrence Mann and Luke Kennard were still able to get shots off from the perimeter, and, and that looked that bare fruit. But um, they, and then you know, I love how Alvin Gentry always talks about how it takes a village. Well, it literally takes the whole team. I mean, that's what the rotation looks like. It's taking the whole team, and now he's talking about we have to establish a home court again. So it really takes the whole city of Sacramento to beat some of these teams because in the home court, you, you're trying to get your fans back. You saw what it was like against that Laker game where there were so many Lakers fans in the in the in the in the building. Um, so everyone's playing a part, fans included. And I think uh, four and three under Gentry, I know it's a small sample size, but there was a different vibe in that building today. I know they tend to keep it pretty loose overall in anyway, but maybe it's the benefit of having three days off and two practices and a practice before that Clipper game to where all of a sudden things just feel a little bit more together uh, than maybe they had in, in weeks prior. Okay, so we're going to touch base on a bunch of things as we go through. Of course, we're going to start with these two games because um, the Kings were victorious. We, I, I think we have actually podcasted since, wasn't it like Wednesday and then Saturday, and then now we don't have another game until Wednesday. Yeah. This is the strangest stretch I've seen in a long time. And if you're looking at why they did what they did with Luke Walton when they did it, I think it's because of this specific reason. The right. Kings have... Um, a three-day break before they take on the Orlando Magic on Wednesday. Uh, that's just unheard of. And we actually, Halliburton actually missed practice on Monday. He uh, he got his booster shot. He said following the game on Saturday and then wasn't feeling good on, on Sunday, Monday. 
And so it did have this little break in the schedule where you could take care of something like that, where you can miss a day of practice and it's not that big of a deal because you've got a bunch of them. We also have Harrison Barnes and Mo Harkless, which are getting closer and closer to a return. We're not sure if either of them will play on Wednesday, but it does look like they're very close. If, if they don't play on Wednesday, they'll be there very soon after. And so they're getting reinforcements back. We don't know what that will look like once it happens. Just, I guess, if there's anything that stood out to you over the last two games as far as rotations, if there's a player who you think, who do you think has earned a longer look once we, we see guys, you know, basically you're looking at two guys that combined for roughly 50 minutes of action between Mo Harkless and, and Harrison Barnes. How do you think Gentry is going to deal with that specific issue? Yeah, and I think it's natural for someone to start looking at the bigs and go, okay, well, it's going to be, you're going to choose between Chemezi or Marvin Bagley or, yeah. or what is Alex Len and, and Tristan, what does that look like going forward against certain teams? But I kind of want to take it a different step, which is I actually think because of the way Terrence Davis is playing, you double down on the small, right? So it's, um, and you ride it until all of a sudden he just can't hit a shot again. And then, okay, what does it look like if he's helping you in other areas, which typically he hasn't. Um, he has helped defensively last year in stretches, but he comes to Sacramento and he was able to actually, he was absolutely putting shots up and he was scoring at a relatively high clip. Or he was at least, also playmaking. Like, I, I thought he, yeah. he, was, he was fine as a playmaker. He's, a, he's kind of a walking turnover, though. Yeah, <laughs> like, he can yeah, be. I don't, I don't like him that way. I, I really don't. Like, I... I you know, you could argue like you know me. I can't stand Buddy as a playmaker, but he's improved in that regard, and even still, I cringe at it. So. Well, he regresses here horribly, but yes, <laughs> he no, he he's regressed as a playmaker. Uh, I think we'll probably get into the Buddy Hill situation here. Um, You're like a walking trigger, like you just Buddy Hill, and it's just I'm triggered, and here we go. God damn it, God damn it. <laughs> Buddy Hill. <laughs> but I mean, look, the the fact of the matter is, I think. Mezzi has shown moments where defensively he can look great. Um, he had the five blocks the other night. He had some what I like to call pat-statted shallow rebounds uh, in, a, in a game against, I believe it was Philadelphia uh, in that game where he had like 11 boards and they just weren't impactful at all. Um, but And then Marvin has had a nice stretch of late, you know, coming off his first double-double. I don't think anyone's necessarily – it's kind of like what I've thought all along, which he can be part of your rotation. He didn't have to be your – focal piece and have to be part of your core but if you're looking for running and scoring and rebounding he helps those areas so um uh, you know however it looks like whether it's 10 minutes one night 25 minutes another and then six minutes the night after that like it'll be a little inconsistent based on how things go and how foul trouble looks and just the the shape of the game and how it just kind of evolves but um i kind of think the kings are going to embrace some of this uh, some of the smaller lineups, and I think if you're really looking at incorporating guys, like I don't, there, I think there's going to be games where we don't see Mo Harkless. Uh, you know, Harrison Barnes will be the one that's obviously coming back, and yeah. will will bear more fruit there. But I think there's games where you're not going to see Mo as much, and I think they're going to see probably more and more games where the Alex Len and the Tristan Thompson inconsistent rotational minutes might not be there. But I think he's going to want to try to whittle, like kind of. Just, I, don't, I don't know what the right word is, but tighten up the rotation. But I just don't think they're going to be capable of being able to do it. Like I still think we're going to see this like twelve-man rotation. These these just absolute crazy rotations where they're using everybody. I think we're going to see more examples of that, despite him 
you know, hopefully locking down on eight or nine, ten guys that, that he knows he can count on every single night. I just think it'll probably evolve still because of how how the game evolves with this team and how some of their lack of deficiencies, you know, they're just going to have to, as much as they might want to go to a nine, ten man rotation, it's still going to be quite a big rotation. Yeah, I think I think we're going to have to see um, more of a sample size from Alvin because it does feel like he wants a ten man rotation and uh, or or nine man rotation where Luke was more like an eight and a half man right. rotation. So we're going to have to see. But I also think he's riding the hot hand, which is something that I don't think Luke did a great job of doing. So I, I think when Davion starts firing away and he's hitting, he's going to get more minutes. Uh, even Alvin talked about it at practice on Tuesday. He said, look, like you're slated to play 12 minutes tonight, but if you get hot, you might play 18, you might play 20. We're going to have to be flexible because that's the, the roster that we have. And so I, I think that specifically with – with Terrence Davis, when he's gotten hot the last two games and he's been so good, you you see a lack of Buddy Heald. Mm-hmm. And it's I don't think the game plan was to cut Buddy out of the rotation or drop him to, to 22 minutes or 19 minutes, uh, which he played in the two, the two games. But I think w- you can't play them both. You can't play them both for huge stretches. So if Terrence Davis is rolling... Buddy Hield is not. He's not going to play as much. And so I think that that's – I mean, I, you got to ride the hot hand at some for point. For sure, for sure. And I think there's some truth to that. I think, you know, I think the only way you do it is if you're going to have a four-guard lineup. You know, and we've seen the four-guard lineup. But can if you're doing Terrence and Buddy, you almost have to have De'Aaron and another defender like Davion or Tyrese and Davion because I don't think the answer is to do Tyrese, Davion, Buddy, and Terrence in the same – in the same rotation too often. That's a little erratic. Yeah. Yeah, you're going to have a lot of, mis- of mistakes. A lot of mistake basketball there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're asking for, for a lot of pain. Um, Kings are 3-2 and two without Harrison Barnes. Did you expect that to ever be the case? Never. No, and we were talking about it like I kept – I, I, I harkened back to that podcast where I go, what does this team look like in December if they don't have Harrison? Yeah. Or if he stops taking shots. Well, we've seen this, and I remember seeing the moment he hurt his foot, and I didn't think this was going to turn into this long stretch. But the way that Alvin's trying to run, and he even said so today, how he wants to even, like, yeah, it's nice. Like, you're seeing the effort. It's, you don't really see it translating to, this, to the numbers. But you can, you can clearly see a, a, a moment there where they're trying to run, where they're making a concerted effort. It's, it's a little haphazard at times. But... Uh, even he says, no, we should be able to be faster than even where we – when we are at our best in terms of what he's looking for on the offensive end and pace, he thinks they can even be even faster. And I don't know if he means that from a consistency or even in small stretches because I I think they've looked pretty fast at times. I think I really do. It doesn't always bear fruit on the offensive end in terms of scoring, but they're, they're sometimes they'll, they'll run, they'll get out, and they'll dribble back out, and it's like, okay, we're still dribbling out the clock. Yeah. to find a good shot, and that's just because of the lack of creativity and playmaking on the offensive end. So, um, But I still think the speed is there. I still think they're showing it. Um, they're no faster under Gentry than they were under Walton. Like the under statistics? The, the num- yeah, that's what I'm saying. Numbers-wise, they're not. Yeah, but you they're can not. see it in stretches where they're running. Oh, totally. You know totally. what I mean? Like you can see where they get the ball out of the basket, right. and then boom, they're but all the, the way down the court. the execution isn't there, yeah. right? Like, yeah. So I think what really looked probably the best – was obviously these two Clipper games because um, you're seeing De'Aaron 
coast to coast way more than than you would see in previous weeks. De'Aaron's also got kind of a kind of a swagger back a little bit, don't you think? I think so. Yeah, I mean, I think he's looked good, and I I know a lot of fans are just angry and and bitter at this point. You know, they're looking at him as a max money player and saying, you know, he's not worth max money. Just calm down. He'll be fine. Right. Yeah. He'll be fine. Right. Like, I know people don't want to hear that. But at the end of the day, I, I think that this team is building towards something. And I, I think we're starting to see better accountability. And that that's something I'm not sure if that's just gentry. I know they had the, the coming to Jesus moment following the Lakers game. I think the players took, they took the fans not only booing but being overrun by Lakers fans. At, they took that personally, I think. I, I think the, Some did. Yeah, the conversation afterwards, I think, was really good. And then they had another conversation the next day. I feel like there were some things pointed out to some people that were basically like, look, you're not going to do this anymore. You're not going to play. And if you're going to continue to be this selfish or do this thing or that that's, that's silly and doesn't make sense on a basketball court, we're just not going to play you. We're going to go to someone else. And we're already starting to see that. And so I think the Lakers game may have been the pivot point in this particular season. Now we'll see how long it lasts because that's usually the problem. It works for a little while, but then it stops working. So we have to kind of wait and see what happens. But I still think, Sean, this team is talented. They do have talent. They, they need some tweaks and they need some better players here and there. But they should not be as bad as they were there for that stretch where they lost 8 out of 9. And we'll have to see if they can continue to improve and build on what they're showing us right now. Yeah, and I agree with all that. The only, I mean, you heard me say it several times where I would argue to people that I don't think this is a very deep team. And I said there's a difference between depth and quality depth. And you're right, James, this team does have talent, but it's 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 like a mismanaged group of misfits that, that yeah. don't really have homes and don't really understand roles and um, don't have the basketball IQ that, that you would want in other teams. Like you, All you need to do is just watch. You don't even have to watch the best of the best. Don't even watch the Warriors. Don't watch the – you know the the Bucks go just watch like something like, I mean you saw it recently. Uh, look at Philly, you know I know that's a really good team even still all the dramatics that they've had. But yeah, watch Philly in that game where they're down five starters, and it's plug and play. It didn't matter that they were down five starters. You know teams respond the right way. They come in and they play hard. Look at way the way Oklahoma City competes on a night in night out basis. Like you know I know they got their heads kicked in for seventy three points the other night. But, like, they compete. Like, they play hard. They have a level of play hard that's that's interesting to see. Look at Houston right now. Yeah, they've which is crazy. six straight, right? They have no business winning six, seven straight after the start that they had. The um, the teams they're playing are pretty bad. Yeah. Like, I did look, and they're – I mean, Houston isn't exactly going out and beating, like, the Warriors and or playing the Utah Jazz three times in a row. You know, they, they haven't had that moment. Um, but still, I, I mean, to your point – the Kings don't – they haven't had a plug-and-play system Mm-mm. since Rick Adelman left. You had a little bit with Jaeger, maybe. I mean, just that small season, that one season where you, at least you had an identity. Yeah. So you kind of knew what you were going to expect night in, night out. But you're right. No, I mean, that was a very vet- veteran-laden team that, that trickled into success. Yeah. And, you know, now it's starting to get interesting because, I think look, we're talking about a two-game win streak and how things can change and, you know – <laughs> and then all of a sudden, what if they get? What if they lose tomorrow to Orlando? Well, I mean, you almost expect it sometimes. You do expect team. it. And it's like the and I. That's, it's what I asked both Alvin and Ty today. It's like, 
do you want how much do you believe in these improvements that you're seeing despite I'm taking wins and losses off the picture like off the table like yeah you're four and three under gentry but this it's looking a little bit different right now you still have highs and lows peaks and valleys yep. whatever you want to say but you're still struggling to find consistency that's fine but you are seeing the effort being there you're seeing a level of compete you're seeing them go so deep into rotations you're seeing guys Marvin Bagley Terrence Davis uh, even Sh- Damian Jones Damian had a moment, yes. you know, like Shemezi Metu has been a part of that where some of the, you know, the D- D- uh, uh, and Fox is all of a sudden looking like himself again. So you're seeing improvements even yeah. with some of these guys that you haven't been able to count on. Okay. You can believe in that, but it's like, how much do you believe in what you're seeing? Even in when you're struggling, like, cause you don't have these, we haven't seen that game lately where it's like, Oh, it was a, Hard-fought contest. You played all four quarters well. You just lost to a better team that night. You lost by six or seven points. On to the next one. No, their their losses are no. You collapsed in the third. You collapsed in the fourth. You had a nice first half. You had an awful second half. Your turnovers got crazy, and you looked like a completely different team than you did when you started the game, or you finished completely different than what you started the game. The the inconsistencies are so high and so low. So like, if you come into Orlando against a team that you should beat on your home floor. Yeah. You know, I, I, I think, I think I sh- we, we both cringed. Lou, Lou King started talking about <laughs> all, the, all the teams coming up that the Kings should beat. <laughs> he, like, did, he did what media members, some media members do in these, in these games that we're at where I cringe and I just go, there's nothing more irritating than hearing somebody say it's a winnable game. Every game is winnable. You every game is losable also, Sean. <laughs> yes, every game is losable, for sure. The parody is incredible. So you have the audacity to go into a game against Orlando and think that that you should be the victors just showing up on your home floor. No, you should be able to put a good effort together and bury this team. Yeah. And that's the expectation, you know. And, and, and oftentimes this season we've seen against a team like what Orlando would show record-wise – going into that game and taking them lightly and giving them any glimmer of hope to where all of a sudden it snowballs and they start to feel themselves and they just run you out of the gym. Well, I mean, the Kings already this season have lost, lost to OKC. They've lost to the Spurs. They've already lost to the, the teams that are at the bottom of the Western Conference. They're not that far from the bottom. But, Sean, the weird thing is they're also not that far from, like, the sixth seed. Right. Like, this, the, the West is just bizarre. I mean, the sixth seed is the Clippers at 13 and 12 versus the Kings at 10 and 14. That's nothing. Right. I mean, you can make up, that's two and a half games. The difference between 11 and six is two and a half games. That's nuts. So, I mean, look. Are we saying that come February? Oh, probably uh, not. Probably not. Probably not. Well, that and I don't know if the Kings will be anywhere near here (laughs) in February. (laughs) That's kind of the way it goes. Hopefully the roster looks a lot different too. Yeah, well, I mean, that can happen, but, you know, I think the biggest thing, like, that we've talked about with, with Alvin, with this group, 6-6 six and six on the road and not 6-6 six and six at home. I mean, I think that's the biggest surprise, right. that this team is 4-8 and eight at home. They're not good at home. They're Sean, not, and they haven't been good. Like, in the entire time they've been here, James, they end up being a better road team than what they are at Golden 1 Center. It's yeah. very strange. I don't I don't get it. It's very strange. So Sean just got a, a club sandwich. <laughs> that looks really good, oh, Sean. Good. Yeah, Yard House is they always take care of us when we have these things. Uh, 
or we we need a little a little hand here with with where to hold the podcast. I always think that when we come in there and we say, "Hey, we're going to do a podcast," that they're thinking, "Are you doing a podcast like on us?" And they have no idea that we're actually talking kings. Yeah, uh, that's possible. That's possible. Well, they should know. We're we're literally we could skip a stone and hit the hit the front glass of the arena. So, um, Sean, let's let's get to. Uh, uh, did you have a chance to read my Sunday musings? Where I didn't. I, uh, James, I've had a money. hell of a week, man. You have. Oh my God. You have. It is. It, it. This is going to. Not only was last week a hell of a week, but this week coming up is going to be insane. Uh, and I can get into that a little bit of that later. But what was your Sunday music? Uh, live by the buddy, die by the buddy. Oh, I lied. I did see that. I thought that was from Friday, though. I no. apologize. I did read that. Okay. Okay. Good. Yeah. So, um, Buddy Heald, the last two games has had a reduction in minutes. Yeah. Um, to be honest with you, I think it's the only the only way that they could possibly move forward after the Lakers game. I think if you go back and watch the Lakers game. Um, Buddy's performance in that game stood out as something that was so egregious that he needs to he needs a timeout, um, and I think that's what we've gotten. I don't know if that will last. I think it has to do with Terrence Davis, has to do with uh, you know Harrison Barnes coming back, but the reduction in minutes in Buddy Heald was almost. I mean, you had to do it at some point. I mean, what we're seeing. In, in the wins and the losses, the difference between him and a win and him versus a loss, number one, he helps you win games. Number yes, two, he when he when he's not hitting, he kills his team. He shoots you right out of the game. And um, the numbers are so startling. It's like uh, in, in wins, he shoots 44% from the field. In losses, he shoots 35% from the field. In wins, he shoots 42% from three. In losses, he shoots 33% from three. There's no way to get around it. When you when he's not on, you cannot survive what he does to your team. Yeah. And and I think like it's not just a buddy healed problem. No, it's Alvin Gentry's biggest problem. Yeah. I mean it's really on I mean, it was Luke's problem too. I mean, this isn't like it's brand new. It shows that he can't be your best player. You can't you can't rely on that night in, night out to where you, you have to get something different for offensively. And if Buddy doesn't have it, and I'm not saying you take him out because him as a decoy is still quite valuable. Well, I think they've used him as a decoy. They had to, yeah. yeah. But you almost have to find a different – you have to find it. Like this team, it's not just him too, James. Like think about this. Like I know the numbers bear out, but think about just nights when, okay, if Buddy doesn't have it, it usually means that this team also – collectively is terrible from the perimeter which I think that's just who they are like I don't think this team is a good three-point shooting team I never I've never thought that to begin this season I never thought it last season um but they are capable in games where he's not you almost have to abort the three-point shooting because they just for whatever reason continue to jack up shots and don't get in the paint yeah it's a problem it's a problem but I'll say this like if if that's all buddy is now if he's only a three-point shooter, then he, he does not do anything else. So it makes him very hard to play. I mean, I would like to see an increase in Davion Mitchell. If you're not going to run three-guard sets, then then that really does mean you're going to see less and less and less. I mean, we're I seeing— I got to stick up for Buddy just one thing. He is a pretty decent rebounder. He's doing okay. Yeah, and he does yeah. run the floor. Yeah, and, and I know that Alvin, uh, you know, Alvin is the one who said, hey, I drafted the guy, so, you know, I, I do love him. Um, but I think He knows that, what Buddy is. Yeah, he does. And, and Buddy's again, 
I don't know. How, I, I hate always saying it. I mean, we know how hard this guy works, but he does break plays, and it's hard to do in in crunch situations when you need him. But he's also that just shows to the lack of depth on this team where you you don't have a choice if you want to win the game. You need to play Buddy Hield. <laughs> unless, unless Terrence Davis arrives. Right. Unless Which, Terrence Davis shows up, and we we usually know in the first shot if Terrence Davis is going to be a hundred. <laughs> but I was like, would you bet on it? Um, if he hits his first one, I, I away we go. Away. If he misses <laughs> I'm all the in. first one, then uh, you <laughs> might as well just pull the plug right then. So I'll say this too: like when I was writing this, one of the bigger problems I have is that. This team, we always talk about leadership and what leadership is and and whether De'Aaron Fox can reach some stage where he's the leader, where we ignore the fact that Rashawn Holmes is not the leader of this team, or that Harrison Barnes has never been able to step up and been the quote-unquote full-fledged leader, or that Buddy Heald, each of these guys is five years older than De'Aaron Fox. So the fact that we don't talk about those guys is a problem. It's a slap in the face. I mean, they only do it because he's the point guard and he's the face of the franchise. Yeah, so so everyone has to just point at him and say, hey, how come you're not delivering? How come you're not fixing it? Well, what about all these other guys that have been in the league longer that should be able to help you step in? I think one of the bigger problems is I don't think that Buddy Hilde is a useless NBA player. I think that the Kings' lack of ability to control, to self-regulate each other is a bigger problem. I think that the fact that his teammates let Buddy Hield run amok, let him shoot 17 or 18 three-pointers, let him go one of nine or one of 10 to start a game, that is a much bigger problem. Like, if if I had a teammate that shot that shot that he had against the Lakers, the yeah. 27-footer with 20 seconds on the shot clock when they're tearing you apart, and it's but you're, it's still only a seven-point game, I'm taking that dude to the side myself. I'm not. I'm done. Yeah, I remember last podcast we had. You said he's out of the game and he's not even probably playing the next game. Yeah, that's what I said. And and to that point, like I think, I think you're onto something there too because I do feel like they're, it's, this team as much as they'd like to hold each other accountable, they almost are incapable of doing so because it's like. Yeah, but they, those are fighting words, man. You throw that <laughs> shot up, those are fighting words. To your point, though, okay, think about that, though. You said, like, Buddy shouldn't have this green light to chuck up 17, 18, three points a game. But Luke was all about it. Yeah, Luke was. And trust me, Alvin is too. But how does it look within the flow of the offense, I think, is where Alvin will will give that some more thought. Yeah. You know, it's not just, you know, he's the sniper, we're going to go with it, you know. I think teams have – we've seen teams the way they defend Buddy – and how they invite him to go baseline yeah. or they invite him to drive uh, so that he doesn't have to shoot the three. He still doesn't get double teamed. No, but they do They do top block. They, they top do, block, They yeah. do a lot of stuff at the top where if he was passing and he started hitting Alex on the little bounce pass to go back to Alex Lynn. So, I mean, I think there's something there. Yeah. Like, I think that Buddy can improve. But the breakdown is on Buddy's end usually, though. Yeah. I mean, it's it's him breaking a play, much like that jack-up of a shot in that Laker game, which was completely a broken play. Yeah. Um, it would be interesting to see. Look, and I think we haven't seen it yet, but I do think Buddy would respond in a favorable, good teammate way for someone holding him accountable from a teammate standpoint. The problem is that happens within the moment. Right. Yeah. And then he's the type of player who's still going to do what he does. And like last year, for example, I don't think we saw 
Like, I thought Buddy left a lot of threes on the floor. I, I felt once Terrence Davis came in uh, to this situation, Buddy offensively wasn't the type of guy. And he had a pretty awful year offensively, I felt, in compared to what The first 33 games of the season, he was trash. Terrible. Um, so, yeah. I don't know if that's him being in his head because, look, he's always going to say, I'm going to shoot, I'm going to shoot, I'm going to shoot. But he didn't. Like he tried to do it. They were relying on him to try and be more of this playmaker, try to be more of a ball handler, which, again, makes me cringe. But they were trying to work on that. But he wants to be that good teammate. He wants to help out. But I don't want to see him be taken out of the game to where he can't be himself. And I think oftentimes him being himself is just a type of mistake basketball player that you get. It's the good and the bad, and you have to ride with it. But it can't be live by the buddy die by the buddy yeah it can't be and and like my point too is i think he can go somewhere else and be very good (laughs) i i I don't think that the the kings specifically don't have somebody on the floor grab putting their arm around him and saying quietly yeah if you ever do something like that again like I, i don't even want it we're going to fight. It's such an interesting dynamic that when I hear that, it's like, oh, this guy can go somewhere else, and he can be. He just can't do it here. Like we've heard about Bagley. I think this is buddy. a specific situation, yeah. though. Well, buddy, the difference is, is buddy just can't be your best player. He can't be one of your two best players. If he goes somewhere else, likelihood he's going to play into the role that fits best for him anyway. Which even if he's starting, he's not going to be your top three player on the team right now. He's a top three player on this team. Because Maybe. In, yeah. order, in order for the Kings to have success, he is. Yeah. And a team that's – that's why him going to somewhere like Philly, him going to somewhere like even Denver, he wouldn't be the best player. He wouldn't even be the second or th- the third best player. He'd be like the fourth player. And he'd play – he'd fit into a role that's just exactly what you'd want Buddy Heald to be. Yeah. You know, especially if you have an alpha male. Like, you imagine if he went to a team like the Lakers, why the Lakers wanted him, and you've got LeBron who's an alpha male, and he's surrounded by two other alpha males on the team. Yeah. You know, Buddy can come in there and perfect. This is what's going to be respected of me. You know, this is what's we expected of me, and I'm not going to have to try to be a playmaker. I'm not going to have to try to do anything other than catch and shoot the ball and be respectable on defense. Because even if I'm not respectable on defense, I've got four other guys that will be. Yeah. You don't have that in Sacramento. Well, I'm hoping that they figure it out. I'm hoping that that (laughs) what we're seeing here is a change where Alvin Gentry is saying, look, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna live by the buddy, die by the buddy. I'm not gonna let you do this. I'm not gonna let you hurt our chance to win right. every every single night. At some point, somebody has to say something. I would hope that it would be a teammate. Like, look, I, I've got into uh, loud discussions with teammates in, in football in high school and so, and softball. Uh, you know, every once in a while, someone needs to hear it that you're not you're not living up to. The expectations, you're not doing what we need you to do for us to be successful. And I hope that the accountability issue, it's something that the players themselves understand that they need to hold each other accountable and they've got to do it more consistently. And yeah. and they cannot let one person dictate whether they win or lose a game because then it's on all of them. This isn't the first time he's done it. This sure. isn't the first time that you lose 14 games. And of the 14 games, you can point to like nine of them where the guy shot you out of a game. It's happened before. Well, as a teammate, you have to say something. You have to say, bro, I'm not going to pass you the ball anymore. Or if you don't want to play defense, or if you want to get beat on the back cut like eight times in a game, like there has to be some sort of teammate uh, to teammate challenge. To come to Jesus moment. But I also feel like it also has to be the right teammate. 
I'll give you an example. Like if you got a teammate who's barely impactful on the team, and I, I'm not picking on Damon Jones, but let's pretend that's Damon Jones, right? Damon Jones is the one to come over to Buddy Hield, and he's going to call him out, and Buddy's going to look at him like he has three heads on his shoulders and says, "Who the hell are you?" Or even Davion Mitchell, who should look. All these guys look at as a natural leader. They do. I mean, they they see he has the capability, right? Two guys ability who are, to talk to somebody. Two guys who are this many in the league, <laughs> as yeah. I like to call, you know, and. Buddy might look at these guys and say, well, what the hell are you talking about? Like, it has to be the right player. It has to be the, And it has to be the right approach. It can't be an intervention, you know, because then all of a sudden you, you can lose a guy. I hear I'm, – I'm with you. I'm with you, but that's one of the problems with this team, James, is that you don't have an impactful – like if it was Harrison Barnes, for example, perfect. That's the perfect guy that needs to be. But Harrison doesn't always – he pick and chooses his moments. Yeah, yeah, it, he, when he decides to be a leader. Right, yeah. and, and it would hold more weight there. It's the same thing I've said about when Tristan Thompson comes to the media and starts spouting these things off. Great to hear, great sound bites, you're saying all the right things, but you're Tristan Thompson on this You're team. playing 12 minutes. You're not the guy that, like, it yeah. is important, and it can be impactful, and it probably goes a long way because of what people know that you are, a champion who played with one of the best NBA players you'll ever see in a generation. And you have a championship. And you're, you, you do what you do very well, right? But you sucked last year. And you kind of suck right now. And you're not really in a – you're not even part of this rotation consistently. So it doesn't hold the same weight, you know. Vince Carter. It doesn't matter if it's Vince Carter or if it's Zach Randolph. You need your best player to be that guy. And if your best player isn't that guy, then you need a vet like Harrison who can all who can also keep his foot on the pedal when it comes to being that natural leader within the team. Yeah, I think there there's there's a lot to work through still. And I because you mentioned you mentioned Rashawn Holmes. Talk about last game. Yeah, I would never call him a leader, but he is the heart and soul of this team. He's passion. He's energy. He's he's emotion. He he has a very big place on the team, but he's not that leader of the team. It's more of a lead by example, where I think Fox kind of falls in there, even though he doesn't exude the same emotion. It's just different, you know. Yeah, I think that's that's something that we've talked about a bunch. That players are different, and we have to give them a little bit of a uh, a little bit of room to uh, to figure some things out, but also to fill into to find their role and find their voice and all that stuff. Yeah. So, um, all right, Sean. So we got. We got plenty of other things to talk about here. Uh, the rumors are heating up. The rumors are heating up that guys are available. First of all, I, we had this discussion slight. Uh, me and and D'Lo and Casey on ESPN thirteen twenty the other day, which led into like a dark discussion. I'm not going to go dark uh, discussion <laughs> here, but uh, Tyreek Evans, um, yeah. just served a two year suspension by the league for uh, for violating the drug and alcohol policy um he took some some stuff he shouldn't have taken uh from what i know i, I know what he took but i'm not going to get into what he took yeah. uh but it was it was not uh performance enhancing it was a um it was like bad. It, it, yeah it's in the realm of of bad drugs that you should not be taking which cost him two years but now here he is at 32 year old two years old he's put out this uh this mixtape slow motion mixtape look great um he looked great in a slow motion mixtape which of course translates directly to the nba um i'm being facetious but would you take tyreek evans like if he's gonna need a shot someone needs to take a gamble on him again he's been out of the league for two years but this team needs more wing depth 
they need a playmaker. They need someone who can create. Would you take a gamble on him? Because he was really good for Indiana the year that he went down and he well, was. that he got suspended. Uh, I was thinking about this after kind of kicking it around earlier, and I probably wouldn't. I probably wouldn't. Uh, I think there. I think there. Are, and I don't have a list in front of me, but I think you're not that up, that hard up for uh, playmaking at that position that you can't find somebody else. Um, certainly, I'd probably feel better if I had a little bit of a sample size of him in the G League. Maybe, uh, maybe a G League team takes a, takes a flyer on him. Maybe he went over, goes overseas, and, and tries to I don't know, um, get a couple workouts with him, see what it looks like. I do think he has a path back to the NBA. I really do. Um, look, physically, this guy has been a marvel his entire life. I mean, they, I remember we were talking about a minute ago. Kobe comes in his rookie year, and he's asked about Tyreek. He says, "Tyreek's a grown ass man." Yeah, it's a grown ass man. As a as a brand new player in this league, um, yeah, I go physically, back to it's never been a problem. The workout that he had, what was it like? Him, Johnny Flynn, yeah. uh, Steph, Curry. Steph Curry, and there's one other in that workout. I don't know, Brandon Jennings. Jennings, yeah. And no, no Ricky Rubio, but it was yeah. If you're going ISO and you're doing all these types of plays, like that's why Steph Curry didn't look the way we know Steph Curry right now because he's not this ISO breakdown guys one on one type of player. Um, and obviously, he went a long way, you know, from his rookie season and blossomed into one of these generational talents. And you can shoot the way you shoot, but Tyreek's never been a great shooter, been a pretty solid defender. Decent playmaker, great rebounder, you know, pretty good speed. You know, I, I like a lot of things Tyreek does. I'm a, I've been an apologist for Tyreek Evans for forever. I don't know that I would do it, though. I don't think he's your answer. Um, I think when he came back to Sacramento uh, in the second stint, it wasn't great. Um, you didn't get the Tyreek that you had had before, and you didn't get the Tyreek that you had in Indiana. So... Yeah, he had a flat tire when he was here. That's it wasn't it good. Like. Yeah, yeah. He, 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 didn't, he wasn't physically great. You know, he was battling some things. And so I think a rejuvenated Tyreek Evans could be a, a nice little thing, but I think i got to see a sample size first. I think, there's, I think there's players out there available. And, again, I don't have a list of them in front of me. But I don't think – and, again, if he's coming in, who are you getting rid of, right? So there's decisions to be made. I think right now it, it's rather than bring somebody like Tyreek in, the answer to me is Monty needs to be aggressive in trades. And if it opens up a – slot on your team then maybe maybe you make you take advantage of something i think right now and i don't like to i mean as much as it is i don't really want to kick this around too much but like luke king for example luke king is a very he's a he's a guy who can be capable of being a playmaker on your team but what does it look like with the rest of the cohesive group what does it look like if you're giving him rotational minutes i don't think that's the answer but certainly you need playmaking, and you need more than that. Like, if this person's coming in to be a playmaker, this person's got to be a rotational-type player that you can rely on. And, I, you know, I just don't know that a guy who's been out of the league two years can all of a sudden just become that player all of a sudden. Okay. I, I mean, I, I agree. I, I would also, like, hey, for a non-guaranteed, you know, I, yeah. I, I mean, I, I, again, like, not to bash on Robert Woodard, but I he's, just don't think he's an NBA player at this point. That ship's not going to sail. Yeah, and, and so, so Robert, this Woodard, Robert Woodard, as great of a guy as he is, and I wish him well, looks like he should have played football to me. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. He just doesn't seem to have been able to make it all, put it all together. And uh, he had, it's like, some moments in the G League last year, but then the hamstring injuries, and then 
you know, he, he just hasn't developed. And I hope I'm wrong by that, by the way. I, yeah. I really do. I just, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Jamias Ramsey, the, the, like, the jury's still out on him as well. But, he's, but at least you he's see so some young. promise. The guy can yeah. shoot. Like, the guy yeah. literally, literally has a jump shot, you know. And pretty athletic. I think Summer League was great for him. I think playing in Stockton all year long for will sure. be great for him as well. Yeah. I just think that the Kings have a roster spot waiting there if they need to go dip in and, and figure something else out at the small forward position. I mean, they just made it through without Harrison Barnes and Mo Harkless for, like, it's a five-game stretch, and they survived it. Uh, but if you had it happen again or if it was going to be a longer stretch, then I don't know that you can survive it. So I would be open to it because I, I think Tyreek is a good guy. He's a guy who, who does mean well, who does come in and does have some some really high-level skills when it comes to ball handling and getting to the rim and stuff like that. Um, it's just what does the rest of it look like? You know, Why am I doing it? Am right. I doing it to hold a place for someone that I don't have my, on my roster now and that I hope to get down the road? Maybe that's why I would do it. Or if it's just strictly we have to make the playoffs this year. Yeah. And, and he might be able to play – early in the season, 12 to 15 minutes a game. Maybe you build him up to 20-something at some point, and he could eat minutes from a guy like Mo or, or someone like that. But uh, I don't know. I, I would at least kick the tires. I'd at least go watch the workout. Oh, you and, have to. I think and, you're doing and, yeah. yourself a disservice if you don't. Yeah, yeah. So um, let's get to the – But to that point, though? Yeah. Like, let's pretend we have a world – like, we're, we're, we're all expecting trades, right? Yeah. There's a, there's a, there's a flip side to that coin, and that's – what if what if there's no trade and you get to All Star break and you're still around the playoff? You're like you said, James. Maybe two and a half games away. Maybe it's a little bit more than that. But play in game, whatever whatever it looks like. And you and if and if at that point you haven't made any deals and it just is what it is, and he's still out there and you've seen it, then sure, him or somebody like him. Like you need to be creative on who you can bring in. Maybe there's somebody in the G League that you can identify and say, you know, we need to steal this guy. We need to bring this guy in. And it doesn't have to be at Stockton. It could be at several other, whatever. you got upwards of almost 30 G League teams now. So uh, there should be options out there to find playmaking, whether it's Tyreek Evans or not. And that's going to be really, (laughs) that's going to be really hard, by the way, to have a Tyreek and a Tyrese, and it's going to, Really well, that would be a mess. Yeah, I mean, to that point, I think, like, if we do get to that point in the season, I look at Tyreek Evans more as, like, a Mo Harkless edition or a right, Terrence right, Davis right. edition that we saw last year or even a DeLon Wright edition. A guy that can come in play multiple positions who can give you a skill and that you may play anywhere from 10 to 30 minutes just depending on what happens during a game. And so I, I think there is some value there. And so I'm not going to close the door. I would leave the door open. He was a good king. He's a good king twice. Um, you know, I remember, like, what second season they brought in Keith Vaney, the, the yeah. shot doctor, to work with Tyreek because someone had messed with his shot, and all of a sudden he was – Remember the high arcing? He has a high arcing shot. Yeah, he, he also would just lean back with his upper body. That was how he created momentum for a shot, which was weird. Um, so I, I don't know if he's cleaned up a lot of that. I, when he was in Indiana before the year he got suspended, which there was some weirdness about that too, he tested positive in like January, and they let him finish the season and then suspended him, uh, which was weird. Hmm. So I, I know that that was in fact the case. Is there a – I'm trying to think. I, I should process. know this. No, well, no, I was going to say, is there a guy 
like I want to say Otis Thorpe, but I don't think it was a three-time king. Have we ever had a three-time king? I know we have. I just it can't. felt like John Salmons was like a 14-time king, <laughs> but I think it was only twice. <laughs> um, there are. We went through a list of all the the two. I should have looked it up from now because, like, I know I can think of several two-time. Like, you know, Corliss Williamson was a two-time king. Bobby Jackson was a two-time. Bobby, you know, um, and there's like even Jason Thompson who was just here forever. It feels like a three-time king. Yeah. Um, let's see. Ben so, McElmore was a two-time, two-time king. Two-time, for sure. Uh, and he's, you Omri Caspi, two-time Omri. king. Um, there's There's been plenty of two-time kings. I'm not sure that there was a... Could be a, a three-time king? That's inc- that's really impressive. Yeah, would there be a three-time? I don't, you know, maybe a guy who was on a 10-day left came back. <laughs> like Garrett Temple Garrett was Temple, a two-time yeah. king. Right. Uh, yeah, so that that's that's so it, so that that's the I'll look I'll look it up I'll try and find it but I'm sure someone's gonna email us by now. Yeah, th- they'll figure it out. They'll figure it out. Okay, so let's get to the we've got two things left to cover. Um, one of those is the business of oh. basketball. So we'll get Sean warmed up now, uh, which we're gonna go outside the box uh, on that one today. <laughs> um, but Sean, the Indiana Pacers appear to be ready to implode their team. That's what I hear. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm, like, I'm lining up. I'm li- well, no, if I'm them, no, I don't think I would. But I'm lining up to like, like, oh, really? We're having a yard sale? Yeah, like, like I'm game. I, I, if I, <laughs> if I was over there, I'd be like, why? Why are we having a yard sale? <laughs> I didn't get the memo. Why is this happening? Maybe move one of them. I would not be dangling all three. Yeah, but they I, seem okay. So the report is that Karis Levert uh, and one of DeMontis uh, Sabonis or Miles Turner are available. So Karis LeVert and one of the two bigs are available. And if I'm the Kings, like, I don't care. Like, to me, Sabonis is worth more than Ben Simmons. I think all three would look amazing in Kings jerseys. (laughs) I really do. I'm not a Karis LeVert fan. Like, he just just doesn't even pick his head up he's just gonna dribble and then he's gonna shoot no matter once you hand him the ball it's it's kind of over you just have to deal with whatever the outcome is uh, when it comes to the other two like you and I like I, I'm a Sabonis guy and you seem to like Miles Turner uh well, no I'm I'm a Sabonis guy too I think Sabonis is definitely the best player of the three uh for sure don't get me wrong but I think Miles Turner might be the more attainable one and I think it might make the most sense because I think if if James, if if you think the asking price for Ben Simmons is high, like Demontis Sabonis' asking price should be even bigger. I mean, the guy can do so much more. The guy can, um, you know, translate better to it to most teams. I think as much as I like Ben Simmons, I mean, you don't have mental health scare there. You don't have is this guy going to be Nick Anderson, <laughs> who comes to the Kings after not being able to make that free throw like what's the residual effect of what he ha- just went through this past season yeah if he come if he's the Ben Simmons we all we all know and elite defender and capable of being this this incredible incredible player like I get that but Miles Turner is a solid defender who now stretches the floor 25 years old um Sabonis so is also I, I remember, 25 Jesus. I remember when Vladi Divac took Willie Cauley Stein and granted like I I was almost at my wits' end because I kept saying, you know, this team needs a point guard. This team needs a point guard. You need. You should get a young, young upcoming point guard. And they didn't until they got De'Aaron Fox. 
put that aside. I said, if you wanted a big, told this right to De- to Vladi as he comes out and says, oh, how'd I do? I said, oh, not good. I literally told him not good. <laughs> I was there. And I said, and Jason Jones was with me. He just, I said, if you wanted a big, you should have got Miles Turner. The upside for him is just incredible. Yeah. Willie Cauley-Stein, I said, you know, with all due respect to him, we already kind of know what that is, and you already have a you already have DeMarcus Cousins. Like, this guy is a role player. You just you drafted them, a role player. You wanted them to draft Moutier. I was I liked Moutier. I mean, yeah. I like there was several yeah, yeah. guys that didn't pan out, but I was it wasn't so much that I wanted Moutier as much as it was all right. Who's the, the point guard? Moutier. Here, yeah, the yeah. idea of Moutier. You have a and you know me, James. If you're a six five and above point guard, oh boy, I'm in. It's you know <laughs> now it's changed. Like you need to be six five point guard. That's great. You can defend. That's great. But if you can shoot, like I'm not taking a six five point guard unless you can shoot. And obviously that was part of Moutier's downfall. A lot of other things, but. To me, it wasn't so much Emmanuel Moutier that it was go after – where's your point guard? And, again, you you you, tra- you drafted Willie Cauley-Stein. You clearly did not draft the best player available at that position. Nope. And that was what I had more of a problem with. Like, if you wanted a big, that was your guy. Like The, the problem the Kings always have in those situations is that Turner was further away. Yes. And for some reason the Kings always believe that they're one player away, so maybe we should get a – even the Davion Mitchell situation. Right. Oh, he's a mature player coming in. He can help us right away. It's like, okay, but would Moses Moody have been a better long-term solution right. where he could fit now playing minimal minutes but fit much better two years from now when he grows up and he's 21 years old and he's your starting small forward? Uh, you know, I don't know. And so, again, they, they went with Willie Cauley-Stein over Miles Turner. Just right. a bad move. Right. Um, but I never thought Will, I never thought Miles Turner would be the stretch four that he is, and and he's really stretched the floor nicely. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's a stretch five. He's a stretch five, you know, and I, he's he's led the league in shot blocking. He's leading right now. He led last season, and he led uh, three years ago. So three of the last four years, scoring he's and rebounding could be much higher. But I yeah. also think it's the situation he's in. You're playing with two scorers that are, can, that are capable of getting the job done, yep. and you're rebounding. You're playing. You're, you're stretching the floor. So you're playing usually away from the basket a lot. So. I feel like he could be a, a, a – and to me it just seems like it's more attainable maybe than DeMontis Sabonis is. I think that's pretty much why I look at that. But Karis LeVert is another guy I've just been high on since he came from Brooklyn, and I, I looked at him and thought this guy is exactly what they need. Um, they need some pressure off of Buddy. They need to be able to add a scorer like that to their team. Somebody who can come in and just recognize I'm a scorer. I can, I can, I'm capable of taking over games. Um, I've liked a lot of him. Now, I don't know if it makes so much sense right now, because I think again we talk about the guys that need this team needs playmaking ability. So um, I certainly think that that they're appealing. I don't know if I put it over Ben Simmons as much anymore. Like I still think Ben Simmons, but I think it makes the Ben Simmons conversation a little bit more enticing because of the fact that now you kind of have some names out there that are being bandied about that could be contenders, and all of a sudden you can maybe affix them to a trade with another team. And, and have some sort of blockbuster later on the season, which, again, James, as I've told you, I think there's going to be a lot of movement this year. I really do. And I yeah. think that's because of the lack of free agent depth that we're, that we're expecting. And both of these guys, whether they go for Turner or Sabonis, uh, somebody who's under team control for at least another year, and in Sabonis's case, two years, right? Yeah. It, so uh, Sabonis is two and a half years from right now, and Turner is under contract next year at $18 million. Uh, Sabonis goes up to 19.9 and then like 20.9 in the next two seasons. Um, 
And Karis LeVert's under contract next year at $18.8 million, and then he's a, a unrestricted free agent. So, yeah, if I'm, if I'm looking at any of these guys, I, I think that you could probably work a, um, a, a deal for Miles Turner, which included, you know, you'd have to give up something. You'd have to give up something like Marvin Bagley and maybe Tristan Thompson just to make the salaries match uh, or to get close to it. Um, but something like that and then throw in a lottery-protected first-round pick. Can I give you one? Yep. What about Harrison Barnes? Well, see, Harrison Barnes makes sense, especially if you were to uh, swing a deal. Like, financially, it makes sense. Like, the numbers are perfect, and Harrison, of right. course, is, is uh, you know, a, a Midwestern guy. Um, grew up in Ames, Iowa, right? Yeah. Uh, so so that, that makes at least some sense. But I think this team, like having Harrison Barnes and one of those guys would actually make a lot more sense. And I don't think, like, if Indiana's starting, starting over – they don't want Buddy Hill to start over with. No, no. And, and even Harrison would be in question because do you want to pay Harrison 19, 18, 19 million next season as well? Um, but if I'm the Kings and I'm looking at Sabonis, who's a two-time All-Star, 25 years old, uh, averages over 12 rebounds, uh, he's at a little under 19 points. But to me, last season he averaged 6.7 assists. And this team has such a huge problem with playmaking, right. and it's not just guard playmaking. Their bigs and their 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 forwards aren't playmakers either. Mm-mm. And so that, to me, is a bigger problem. If you could bring in a guy that you can run the offense through who sets some of the meanest picks in the league, like you want to see De'Aaron Fox get freed by a pick, bring in Sabonis. And so I think if you could get into a three-way trade where Buddy goes somewhere or you're giving up, again, like a, a package that includes Marvin and, and Tristan, but then two first-round picks in the future, I'm all in. Yeah, I just – I'm calling bullshit, though, on the fact that all three of these guys are just available. for Like, they're just going to eject all three of these guys from the team. Like, there's and, just no and way. And Malcolm Brogdon's not even mentioned, so right. you're going to keep Brogdon even though you're going you're to eject not, the rest of these guys. It, it, to me, it's just not – now, look, certainly the report is – these guys can be had. I just don't. I can't fathom a scenario where all three are off the Pacers by the end of the year or going into next season. Maybe I'm wrong, but I just don't see that. And what's funny is they're ten and sixteen. They're only like in the standings, really, a game behind the Kings. Wow. <laughs> like they're in the Eastern Conference, but right. the Eastern Conference is much better than Western Conference right now. Well, and think about that. They've got dedicated long-term contracts, big contracts, much like the Kings. I mean, we talked about it several podcasts ago, which is this team, the Kings have a lot of dedicated money to next year yeah and there's not a lot coming off two so. years two years of, and of dedicated and you're bad yeah um and and again why malcolm brogdon who's 28 uh he should actually have really good value he's at 22.6 next year 21 six a year after and 23.4 which is weird where they have a fluctuating salary on, on him um yeah i, I would chase sabonis hard and yeah. i and i don't care I mean, I, again, I, I'm giving up whatever. I think and, it's nice too, but like everyone's like, "Oh, those are nice players." And they're like, "Hey, uh, what do you what do you like about uh, what, what about Chris Duarte?" Yeah, because I'd take him in RB. Yeah, if Chris Duarte was available, I'd jump all over that as well. Uh, he's a stud who's under contract for a long time. Rookie control, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, all right, Sean. So you're in. You're a yes on Miles Turner. I'm a yes. Give up whatever. I don't care at this point for Sabonis. And I think Sabonis and 
Rashawn Holmes can't play side by side because Sabonis is such a good passer that you can actually create opportunities, even though you'd need Sabonis to shoot some more threes. He'd, yeah. he'd have to stretch it out again. And so I think you can exist there. And I think defensively, he's strong. Having a guy like uh, Rashawn Holmes, like he has with Miles Turner, would actually help him. Um, How about he, the durability? Of Sabonis? Yeah. I don't know, man. He's been pretty durable. Has been. Yeah. I mean, I, I think he can play. I mean, the last two seasons, he's played 62 and 62 in 72-game schedule. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I would be good. I'd bet on it. Yeah, I'd bet yeah. on it, too. So I've, had, uh, I've, I've seen that bandied about, and I think, well, that's twice I've said bandied about in a podcast. Oh, look at that. I'm not doing that anymore. Well, but as I've long as you don't have that and a bugaboo around. in there. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, let's get to uh, the business of basketball. Oh, that's my favorite. I don't know how it has anything to do with basketball, but it's it's going to be a fun one for me. Uh, here, here's how I will tie it to basketball. Okay. Because it's ridiculous. <laughs> Sean and I are going to uh, the Foo Fighters concert this evening. Just two dudes going to the Foo Fighters. Uh, yeah, that's him and, and Sam Amick. Me and my wife are going to the <laughs> <laughs> with, with, an, with some friends. Um, yeah, if, if you have not seen a concert at Golden One Center, oh. you're missing out. It is seriously one of the greatest concert venues ever. This is, I think this is my 11th concert at Golden One. Um, like McCartney and Maroon 5, uh, Ed Sheeran. Yeah, uh, you beat me on that bon one. Bon Jovi, um, Timberlake, Depeche Mode, uh, Lumineers, mm-hmm. uh, Elton John, <laughs> Stevie Nicks. You got them. Uh, that's nine. I, I'm missing one. Um, I was at most of those. I, I'm very upset that uh, the two that I regret not going to was Travis Scott, uh, which wouldn't be in your wheelhouse necessarily. Nope. But I think you'd have a hell of a time, especially if you went with me. Uh, uh, I had seen Travis Scott a bunch, and I decided, oh, you know what, I've seen him a bunch, I'm not going to go. And I completely missed out because that concert was incredible. Um, and I did not get – you just mentioned him. Oh, I didn't get Ed Sheeran, which oh. is still on kind of my bucket list. So – um, yes, Ed Sheeran is on my bucket list. But we it's were, true. We I, were in the front I row the guy's like, like 10 feet away from Ed Sheeran. Yeah. Uh, we just got lucked out with these tickets. We were in row BB, and there was no A or AA or B in front of us. I mentioned yeah. this to, I believe I had mentioned to, to D'Lo and KC actually on 1320, one of the last times I was with them, and in talking about just how – oh, no, we were doing it on our little – we did – I know when I brought this up. We did it on our off-the-record uh, – Oh, yeah, yeah. Our, our the happy hour. Greet. Happy hour meet and greet. What am I the thinking? happy hour. The happy hour was amazing. It was for so those, much fun. Yeah, it was so much fun. And, and Damien was a part of it, and we were talking about, you know, Arco Arena memories, and it was like, well, for me, a lot of them come to concerts, and how awful Arco Arena was for concerts, and yeah. it was so echoey, and Damien <laughs> brought up a great point, which is like hip-hop concerts were very bassy, um, and you think it's bad for any rock concert or pop concert. Like, it was expre- especially bad for a hip-hop concert. And if you've been to to Golden One Center for a Kings game. You can hear everything anytime someone's on a microphone. You can hear it, and you can hear it crystal clear. And it's not echoey. It doesn't sound crazy. No. At the arena, it was really, really tough. Like, I'll, I'll never forget, like, shout-out Jen Santich, who was one of the former Kings dance members who became uh-huh. part of the game night hosts. And she just had a pitch in her voice. When And unfortunately, you know, it was so much better when it came to Golden One Center. But when she was at Sleep Train Arena or Arco Arena, whatever you want to call it, and she had that role... I, I could never understand it. 
damn thing she said. Like, <laughs> I was just like, well, there she is talking, and she's such a nice, she's so nice, but she I couldn't nice. understand anything she said because it was just, it was just like, you know how dog whistles, like dogs can hear that. Well, I can't hear I, anything <laughs> up high. I, high tones, I can't hear at so all. So every, all I hear is just this tone, like this, like it's almost like Charlie Brown's mom in my, well, like well, I just well, can't well, hear well, anything. Well, so I couldn't decipher it, but I'd still go to concerts at, at Arco. Uh, I'd still look forward to them. But Golden I saw One you Center, too. Uh, yeah. I saw you. Uh, no doubt, open for you too. Um, I saw the fun. Black Eyed Peas with Gwen Stefani there. Um, yeah, you two. Uh, Bush and the Goo Goo Dolls. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I saw a few concerts there. So I guess that le- that leads me like again. If you if you haven't caught a concert at Golden One, that's how we're gonna tie it to our basketball discussion. <laughs> um, the way they transform that place is amazing, and just how good it sounds uh, is is spectacular. So, Sean, what's your your number one concert of all time, Arco oh. or or nowhere else, or anywhere else? So, Sorry. man, there's so many that come to mind, but to me, and it's, it's always feel like a letdown. Not to me because I think again, I'll see them. I've seen them several times now. Not as many as I'd like. I'd still like to go more. But to me, my favorite concert I've ever been to, and they're just continually the – every time I go, it just gets better and better, is Coldplay. And I know people just don't like – they're one of those bands – I think it was Carmichael Dave, of all people, put a thing on Twitter earlier today, and he was going off the trend of, like, name five things that you love that everybody else hates. And he, he went, like, Creed, Coldplay, Joe Buck, Candy – I remember because I just saw this, and I was like, I like Joe Buck, and I love Coldplay. And Dave was, like, actually a really big version for that. Because when I used to work with Dave on the night show at 1140, like, I became a Coldplay fan. I wasn't really a fan of, like, a total fan of their stuff early on. But where everybody else tended to drop off, because, oh, you'll never be as good as you were with Parachutes or some of those albums in the very beginning, I really got into them later on when they became more poppy and it wasn't so melancholy. And now you've got this great mix of just all these different types of genres that they do. And then I go to a concert and I'm absolutely blown away at not only what they sound like, what they're able, just these four dudes are able to do. And then a visual, just the visuals of everything is incredible. Um, Still the best concert I've ever been to. And I, most people hear that and probably just groan and roll their eyes. Oh, it's Coldplay. But it's like, they're one of the biggest bands. I mean, they're, they're like U2. They're like Muse. I mean, they're, they're that big. And you know, a close second, I think, would come when that was, by the way, anyway, none of them have happened at Golden One. None of them have happened at Arco. Uh, each time I saw them has been in Santa Clara. And it was unbelievable. So uh, Santa Clara and San Jose, I saw them at HP Center, HP Pavilion. Close second, and this is crazy, would be, as much as I like my music festivals, none of them come to the music festival. It would be Jay-Z and Justin Timberlake together at... Uh, Candlestick Park, one of the last very concerts that ever happened at Candlestick Park, and the two of them only did like 20 stops in the in the country on this this I forget what the tour was called, um, but the two of them at the same time, and it was fantastic. And they only did uh, football stadiums, and uh, as much it was my first time seeing Jay Z. I kept saying I didn't want to see him with anybody else, but when he when I was watching, he doesn't come to Sacramento all that often. Uh, I was like, I got to take advantage. I had just passed on seeing him with Kanye in San Jose for Watch the Throne tour. Him and Jay Z, him and him and Justin Timberlake felt like a really interesting mesh together, and that they, they were. It wasn't going to be one opening for the other. They were going to be out there basically the same time. Yeah. And it was also the nostalgia of we're closing out Candlestick Park, 
All right. And so I had to do it. I thought it was great. Uh, I had phenomenal seats. Me and my best friend Jose went to that. And fortunately, I've been able to see Jay-Z since then here at Golden One, and it might be one of the best concerts I've seen uh, at Golden One. It was sensational. I'm not sure you're going to catch me at a Jay-Z concert. <laughs> I think you should, though. I, here's the thing. I you, saw Timberlake. You would not be uh, disappointed if you went. Even if you're not up to speed on his music, uh, I would say if, if you took the opportunity, I think you'd have a hell of a time. And, again, I mean, I know there are certain genres of music that people just aren't a fan of, and that's mm-hmm. fine. But I spray to all fields, even country. Like, I like really poppy country. I'm not so much of the Merle Haggard, you know, I don't Willie like Nelson stuff. I don't like the yeah. gold, gold country, as they call it. But I worked, when I was at KHDK, I worked right across the hall from KNCI, which is today's country, as they call it. And that's when I got my fill of, like, you know, Taylor Swift when she was country, Carrie Underwood, Keith Urban, all these, like, new country people. And that's when I've, I've kind of got into it. Now all these – now the, the, the fact of the matter is, James, all, these music, all this music now just sounds similar. Like yeah. you can all kind of fit the same genre, and I love that. So I'm a, I'm a pop pop music fan till I die. I'll say this: um, at Golden One, McCartney was so good when he opened uh, Golden One. I mean, so good. His stories were incredible. Yeah. Where Stevie Nicks droned on for like ten minutes between <laughs> each song. The voice, McCartney's voice, and I was surprised he was doing two straight nights. At yeah, Golden incredible, one. I, right? I only and, went to the first one for that reason, yeah. and I mean, obviously, hey. This is the first event at Golden One. You got to go. Yeah, yeah, totally. And, and if that you like costs the Beatles, too. That costs a lot. Oh, it does. And yeah, that, look- that one was that was brutal. We and like I don't typically get free concert tickets. On occasion, oh, uh, I when yeah. I was at NBC, I, I I got tickets when things weren't selling and stuff, or or we had room in the box upstairs. Um, but but McCartney was expensive. So was Elton John. And, and we sat near each other for McCartney. Oh yeah, yeah. It wasn't yeah, that we far. Were, we were very close to each other. Yeah. The the. Uh, the Foo Fighters who come in tonight, this will be my – I saw – this is my second time I've seen them this year. They were at Bottle Rock, and which is in Napa, which is the best music festival that I always say that no one knows about. But I think most people know. They, Bruno Mars dubbed it Bougie Coachella. Okay. You don't have to camp there. It's phenomenal. Three days, all great. Uh, and they were the Sunday band. It's the, this is the third or fourth time – fourth time I'm seeing Foo Fighters in general. Second time this year. And it's the first time since they were inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame just uh, last month. The couple that we're going with tonight, they were at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame for their induction. And then they just saw them in Vegas. Uh, Yeah, so they're kind of like... That's dedication. They're hitting it hard. Yeah, that's dedication. Uh, I I have never seen Foo Fighters. Uh, My favorite concert... Like, I always used to, like... Like, my favorite concert to attend versus my favorite... Like, the music was so good versus, like, the energy was so good. And, um, like, I always, like, uh, I saw Aerosmith at the old Cal Expo and just the energy of which Steven is, Tyler. Which is playing in the building right now. Oh, it is. There we go. <laughs> His energy is, is off the charts. I don't know if it still is, but it was crazy to watch. Yeah. Uh, favorite to listen to, I saw the Eagles at Shoreline, mm. and they all took turns playing all their solo stuff. Um, and I don't do the big uh, the big festivals like you do. Like I used to do Horde or like the festivals down at Shoreline years ago. Uh, but my favorite concert ever to go to, um, I I saw Pink Floyd at the Oakland Coliseum before they uh, before they stopped touring. I think that was their last tour in like 1994. And me and my mm. best friend went. We had two people back out on the day of, 
but said, hey, sorry, we backed out, but we're still going to pay for your tickets. So we called a buddy from high school, and he joined us, and he drove us. And then the last ticket we couldn't get rid of, and we actually gave it to a security guard and said, hey, if anyone comes up to the gate and says, hey, I can't, wow. uh, do you have any tickets? We, we left it with the ticket taker. And then uh, to add a sad, like, why it's nostalgic, my buddy who came and met us died in a plane crash like two years later mm. uh, as a young man at Chico State. Um, him and his parents all passed away in a, in a plane crash. But the just the concert itself was so incredible. So uh, like Pink Floyd being there, the lights go out at Oakland Coliseum and uh, like, I don't know, it became one giant pot cloud. Like, yeah, like of 8 million lighters. <laughs> I, there were more lighters than there were people. Right. And it wasn't because some song was playing. It was because everyone was lighting up. So that was nuts. Um, but that was that was a long time ago. And Can I've I, seen a lot of concerts. Go I, ahead. I will put this back to basketball. All right? Concerts that I've attended with actual NBA players, Kings players. Bottle Rock has been two of them where, you know, Vladi Divac shows up to see his pals, the Red Hot Chili Peppers. What? And he's taken care of in a suite. And I said, no, F that, Vladi. You should be out here in the pit with me. And I, when I say the pit, it's not something crazy. Like, it's not what you would, if you've seen that Woodstock documentary recently on yeah. HBO, which is fabulous, by the way, but also incredibly, incredibly uncomfortable to watch. Yeah. Uh, it's nothing like that. Uh, it's just, it is a little crowded. And it can be, it can, like, the most crowded I've ever, most uncomfortable I've ever been in a, in a, it wasn't even a mosh pit, per se. It's not a pit. It's just so many people. The rowdiest it ever got was at a Bruno Mars concert. How freaking crazy is that? A Bruno Mars at Bottle Rock was the most people I'd ever been around where it was really like, oh, my God, we're getting crushed in here. Like, yeah. there's so many people. Um, Bottle Rock again with Brad Miller. Brad Miller would come to Bottle Rock. Uh, had a fantastic time with him. Um, and then I was at – I was in Oakland. I was also at Golden One when Kanye walked off the stage. But – I was in Oakland when Kanye was had this stage that went around over the pit, the people below, and Kevin Durant was down there. <laughs> and so I had a lower-level seat because uh, I knew the way the stage was going to be, but I didn't quite – I was like, why would I want to be in this in this swarm of people having to look up? And you can't even really see them unless you're yeah, in random. the end zone, and it kind of moves around. The, it was a brilliant – it was a brilliant creative artistic design, but it, you really – for me anyway, you really had to be there to be like, okay – I get it. This is why I might want to be there, but I still would have taken my seats over those any day. Yeah, and uh, that was tremendous. But yeah, three. I know there's been other concerts I've been to where the NBA players were there, but uh, Vladi and and Brad were almost you know there kind of within the same time and, and being there. Brad, I was actually with, and then yeah, like just KD in the pit with everybody else. Sean's lived uh, <laughs> many, many, many lives. Many lives, the many lives of Sean Cunningham. We yeah. could have a new segment, the many lives of Sean Cunningham. <laughs> yeah, I think everyone stop subscribing. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is over. All right, so uh, that's going to do it for this edition of the King Speed Podcast. Sean, do you have any final thoughts? I don't. <laughs> don't oh, yes, don't blow actually, it. really quickly, because don't Tyre blow it to Orlando. Tyrese, yeah, don't blow it to Orlando. Tyrese Halliburton would probably want me to point this out. He has been a quasi. Uh, backer of Folsom Bulldogs football. Oh, yeah. So two things I want to shout out real quick. Folsom Bulldogs, uh, who were able to beat De La Salle. Amazing. Uh, which hadn't happened. De La Salle hadn't lost to a, a Northern California opponent since, like, the 80s. They lost to three this year. One of them was with was the Bulldogs, who they beat early in the year. 
and Folsom advances to a state championship. I got to go down to LA to cover them and Central Catholic for Modesto. So congratulations to them. A lot of high school football championships in the area. Vanden uh, from Fairfield and Argonaut also from Jackson. They'll be able to host their two games. And then UFC, by the way, if you're looking for some Sacramento ties, Josh Emmett, who's had an 18-month layoff. This guy, 12, 12, 15 seconds into his last fight 18 months ago, tore his knee, shredded it. He still fought, and he won that fight. Wow. And then he goes under the knife, whatever, has to get his ACL, MCL. He he ruptured his Baker's cyst. I don't know if you know what that is, but it's behind your knee. Yeah. It fills up with fluid, and you can feel like a hardness in your knee when that happens. Just a crazy story. Uh, and this guy has always had crazy things happen to him in the fight, and it sounds violent, um, but it's he's incredible to watch. He fights this week. It's on free TV uh, before the pay-per-view kicks in. He uh, so he's got a he's got a really good fight coming up. And then Cody Garbrandt, the former uh, bantamweight champion, is going to be uh, on the on the main card, and he's fighting a guy in a different weight class than he's been in before. So he's got to come down and wait, trying to make his mark there. He's going to be probably fighting for a title here later this year, so or later in 2022. So, two guys from Sacramento that would be fun to watch. See, Sean is versatile. I am. I, I don't know UFC at all. That's all right. We're we're gonna we're gonna convert you. No. It, and the only thing that converts you is these local ties. There's so many of them from Sacramento. At least at least Josh Emmett, born and raised here. Cody comes. From, he's a transplant. Comes from Ohio, uh, but former bantamweight champion. He, he had the, he had a belt here in Sacramento. But, yeah. I'll think about it, Sean. I'll yeah, think, think about I think it. I think you'll get into it. All right. Well, again, uh, good final thoughts, though. Good, uh, a lot of uh, local watching this weekend. Yes. Um, so the Kings are trying to climb back towards the 500 mark. They get Orlando on Wednesday. Uh, after that, they hit the road. Uh, but then December is all Golden One Center. I think it's 11 out of 13 games uh, at Golden One Center. And the two game, they don't leave the state after they get back from this. So they've got uh, a Golden State game, and they've got a, a Lakers game later in the in the month. Clay Thompson so, probably be back for that. Oh yeah, that I think game. that's what they've circled is the Clay Thompson return game. Like the Kings needed that. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> so, go out and get thirty-seven in the quarter again. Yeah, yeah, we'll see how Clay looks in his return after missing uh, more than two years. More than I, I think it's more than two at this point. All right, so that's going to do it for this edition of The King's Beat. If you are not a subscriber, make sure to jump on. Subscribe to The King's Beat. Uh, big shout-out to my guys at ESPN 1320, D'Lo and Casey, and also to ABC 10. Wait. ABC 10. Yes. Yep. Yes. <laughs> uh, for letting us have Sean Cunningham for all these moments. So for Sean Cunningham, I'm James Ham. Thanks for tuning in to The King's Beat podcast. We'll see you later this week.